Are you feeling frustrated with the job hunt? Are endless applications and a radio silence getting you down? You can now book me for $1 a minute for 30, 45, or 60 minutes. Don't need 45 minutes, don't pay for it. Want to do 30 minutes now and maybe 30 minutes later? Once you progress, let's do it. We can conduct a mock interview. I'll help you format great responses that make a difference. We can improve your resume and cover letter to help get you noticed. I'm here to consult with you. If you're in a unique situation and want input from someone that has seen it all and can help you succeed like I have so many others, it's super simple. Just go to jobinterviewexperience.com and click the $1 a minute coaching button at the very top of the page. Select the amount of time you want to meet and then you can look through my availability without having to pay. Check out my availability, pick a time, and pay $1 a minute for 100% of my attention. It's blocked into 30, 45, or 60 minutes, so we won't go over, you won't get charged any more than what you pay at checkout. Remember, the faster you invest in yourself, the faster you land that dream job. Go to jobinterviewexperience.com or follow the link in this episode's description. I'm excited to meet and help you take control of your career today. Have you ever had an internship for a Russian propaganda network? What could go wrong? Well, it turns out quite a lot. Our guest today has a wild story to share about his adventures around the world. Luckily, he lived to tell the tale and he's gonna do so on our podcast today. We're also lucky that he has an incredible career and is going to share behavioral questions you might get asked, the prep work that can set you apart and set you up for a job in media, and handling those interviews. Ricky Mulvey is the senior producer and co-host of Motley Fool Money, a top investment podcast in the United States. Before that, he produced a daily financial radio show in Cincinnati called Simply Money and has a pinch hit for NPR's The Indicator from Planet Money. Ricky lives in Denver, where he is an avid reader and an average pickup basketball player. Ricky, welcome to the job interview experience. Thanks, Matthew. Appreciate you having me here. Can you give us an overview of your career journey and what led you to where you are today? I've always loved writing, working in media, talking to people. When I was 12, I remember I went to my mom and I was like, I want to, I'm going to, I've made some movie posters. I'm going to be a screenwriter. And then offhandedly, she said, well, why don't you try writing something that people actually want to read first? And I don't think she meant it that way, but they knew that I had this appreciation and interest in writing. And the local varsity football team needed like a like one of those local newspapers. They needed a writer. And the interview was extremely short. I emailed them and I was like, hi, I'll do it. And no one else raised their hand. So I, I got to write. I was writing football recaps for the Loveland Herald. And I think eventually they found out that I was 12, so they, they had me stop doing that. But since then, I'd worked for like another website covering high school sports. And then throughout college, I just tried to mix in media as the job while I, I learned business is a degree. And I knew that I wanted to combine those interests, after which I, I worked for a local radio show in, in Cincinnati that you mentioned. And it was good to sort of get that muscle of making something every day. I think one of the hard things about being a creative professionals when you're not necessarily responsible for output like and, and having that requirement was good for me wanted to leave that job after the pandemic I, I liked the people that I was working with it was a really good opportunity I was just ready for a next step and I got hired by the Motley Fool 
and it was at a time where they were trying to reposition this weekly podcast they had into a daily one. And I was able to say, oh, I, I've done that. And uh, then they hired me. When you had these aspirations of writing and you were writing, did you ever think of using your own voice to, to get that message out like you ended up doing on radio and via podcast? Like write, writing with my own voice, how? So instead of writing, say, in newspaper or magazines or online, actually speaking the word, sharing your opinion through this type of media. Yeah. So, so that's the difference, right? Like learning how to do journalism and then doing more opinion-based stuff. So what I ultimately found is that I, I like the act of writing. I like the act of talking to people and hearing perspectives more. And I think you ultimately do that through journalism, right? Through an interview where you're, you have to shape where it goes. You generate opinions and thoughts about things and try to think about things in a fair way. And I, I think I would say probably around late high school when I was working, I was working for a website called Loveland Magazine. I, I felt that shift a little bit. And you hear it in podcasts, right? That sort of blend between traditional journalism and more opinion-based stuff. Ricky and I met a couple months ago and he ended up telling a story about some formative years early in his career. And I said, Ricky, you have to come on the podcast and share this because this is wild. So how on earth did you connect with this internship and what's the story? Coming out of freshman year of college, it's a really hard time to find internships, right? Like in some ways, you basically have very few to no hireable skills that an employer wants. You don't have a lot of training in much. And there was this nonprofit. Basically, they would place like Jewish teens, young adults with internships in Israel. And I, I wanted to work in media, but I had a pretty significant problem, which is that I didn't speak Hebrew and I didn't really speak Arabic. But I did take about a year's worth of Arabic in college. And so, of course, I, I put, I understand basic Arabic on, on my resume. The problem with that, Matthew, was that I understood basically what's called fusa, which is like Shakespearean Arabic. And I understood it in a writing sense. So I had very little, like in any normal dialogue, I basically had no cognition of what was being said. So that was probably bad. And then they said, all right, well, this place called Newshound is interested in hiring you is a is like a social media intern. You're doing a free internship. Sure, fine, sounds good. And I, I was like, okay, that they're like a local, they're a news bureau that sells news packages to a lot of other news stations around the world. What I didn't know is that their main news, like news customer was Russia Today, which is a Russian government-backed news organization. And that is what they made the news with. And I was like, I get there. I'm like, okay, well, this seems bad, right? There's like a, I remember there was like a huge portrait of Vladimir Putin sitting on like a shelf. And then someone else had put up a, like a, a book of the Barack Obama biography. And, and I was like, all right, this is sort of a weird vibe to walk into, but at least I'm just running the social media account. Maybe I don't have to like get my hands dirty as, as bad as that sounds like I, I'm not going to be in a dangerous position. What ended up happening though, was I was with two other interns, the producer left one producer left because she went on vacation for like a long period of time. It was just like, I'm going to leave. Um, one went on maternity leave and then one got fired. And then there was like nobody there besides the interns. So then the responsibility shifted where they were like, Hey, do you want to go out on some shoots and do some interviews? And I would say through that, I got a lens into the other side of the news slash propaganda making process process 
in the Middle East specifically? So as this was happening, and I, I know from personal experience, when you're an intern, you don't want to say no a lot because you're trying to get through it. You probably need your credits and you just don't understand how to sometimes take a stand in the professional world. So as this was transpiring, did you have a moment when you just realized like this is getting bad? Multiple moments. So there's the first one. I, I was pitching stories and I was like, I wanted to do a story about the Druze culture, which is one that believes in reincarnation. And they're very effective in the military. A lot of them get to very high rankings. And I was like, maybe there's some connection there, right? Like there's a spirituality component with this culture and I want to find out more about them. And this could be a really interesting story. They're like, absolutely not. This is not what we do. And then I'll tell you, I, the, the real light bulb moment for me is we were supposed to go into the settlements in in the West Bank. And what the the news was trying to do, they were trying to make a story about how the Jewish settlers there were clashing with police, which had happened, that, that had happened historically. And the person I was going to go interview because my boss was busy actually like had clashes with the Israeli police. But at the time we were doing the interview, it hadn't happened in a while. So the questions I was given to ask were to stoke up the person because they knew she was going to be like, oh, I have no problems with the police. I love I love them. They protect us. We're all good. And the goal was to stoke her up to a point where she would say something wild. We could take that 15 second clip and then put it on, like put it into a news package. And the question, and it was, have you ever had disagreements with the police, Matthew? What would you do if a police officer, if you saw them doing something that you completely disagreed with, what would you do? And then it got to a place where, and I forget like the levels three, four, and five, but one of the levels at the end was, what would you do if one of the police officers was holding a gun to your child's head? And for me, Matthew, that was a light bulb moment where I was like, all right, this is like messed up. And I ended up doing the interview. That's key as well. I did not ask that question. And we went out and I was so out of my depth. I was like, I hadn't, I really didn't have a lot of like historical knowledge about what was going on. I didn't really know like the person I was talking to, who was this sort of this like political, it was like this, this community organizer, political activist, like a long, like hard nosed person who had been in the Middle East for, for more than 70 years. And I remember in the interview, I just like, I ended up like crumpling. Like I, I felt like a raisin. I, I felt I, I was so like, like prickles on my skin. I was so uncomfortable to be in this position. I ended up, I, I literally ended up like scrolling through Facebook during the conversation as a self numbing mechanism mm -hmm. because I was like, well, I'm, I'm, I think I'm doing what my boss wants me to do. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to be someone who's just like, not a teen player, but also this is just bad. This is just really bad. And I've, I've so many alarm bells going off, but I'm also like, maybe I need to do this. I really shouldn't. And I ended up making something that was just bad. Like I self-sabotaged, like that was maybe my higher conscious thinking mm -hmm. was I just self-sabotaged. So there wasn't a whole lot useful there. Looking back, do you think you were ever in physical danger throughout that internship? No, there was one time that I really thought I was. This is the van story. I was in the city of Nablus. It's a Palestinian city. And I forget exactly what we were shooting. But it was, it was Ramadan, which means that the restaurants are not open. And we were really hungry. We were looking for lunch. And we couldn't find... We had parked. And we're like walking around the city looking for somewhere to get something to eat. 
and I was with a cameraman, this cameraman named Yevgeny. And I was like, my guy, it's Ramadan. No, nowhere is open. And he, he was so, he was sure. He was like, no, it's absolutely not. I end up, I, I pull out my phone and I have to go to Snapchat to find the, the, the filter that says it's dude, it's Ramadan. Nowhere's going to be open. Finally, he agrees with me. But the problem was that we were walking and taking right turns, left turns in a fairly dense urban area. And we had no idea where we parked our car. So I'm on edge right now because I'm like, I already know like my internship. I'm really not like, I'm really not supposed to be in this area. This is not good. And we start walking back. And one key part of this is that we're wearing press vests. So I'm holding the camera. I've got a vest that says press. And on the back, it says Russia today. And as we're walking back to the car, this huge white van pulls up next to us. And is like, hey, what are you guys doing here? And I, I immediately, I, I take three, five steps back. Yevgeny goes up. He starts talking to him. I have no idea what he's saying. But it goes on for about three-ish minutes. Looks at me. And he says, Ricky, they want to talk to you. And I'm sure they saw that I was afraid. I'm sure something gave it away. Well, I was going to say something gave it away. Of course I was terrified. I was afraid. And I, I go up and I see this completely full van of, of people. And my first thought, which was, my first thought was, why is this guy driving? Because the guy who was driving the van, Matthew, had one arm. Everybody else in the van had two arms. And I'm like, this just, this seems odd. Also, I'm not going to investigate this right now. Like, it's one of those moments where you just see it and you're like, huh. And they start asking me like, Oh, what are you doing here? What story are you covering? How are you making how are you making the situation look? Where are you from? From and I'm like, I'm from Ohio. That's where LeBron James is from. Like I'm, I'm I, I don't know how to say it any other way. And I, I I think they could tell I don't know if they could tell I was Jewish, but I felt that they could tell. And the questions get more intense. How are you portraying us? What kind of angles are you taking right now? What are you really doing here? What's really going on? A van door slides open. And I just start I start crying. Like it was this moment of like a, a staring into a black hole that was just terror. Yevgeny grabs me by the shoulder and they all start laughing. They were playing a prank on me, which was that they were going to make it look like they were about to kidnap me. But really, they just wanted to see what was going on. Russia Today, luckily, was a news station or a media organization that they had agreed with and were fans of. So they just wanted to see what was up. So and Yevgeny that... thought that was going to be a fun little prank to play on the intern. So that's what that three-minute conversation was probably about then at the beginning? Yeah. I was just... And it was one of those things where just like... The, the sadness and the like terror, the, the terror that I felt or the uneasiness just immediately turned to rage. I was so mad at this guy. I was like, how, like, how dare, like, dude, that is literally psychological torture. Yeah. And it was, it was a rough internship, Matthew. The sad thing is, too, is that exact situation you were in, or not exact, but basically the same situation has gone the other way for people. 
And usually like you shouldn't approach that thinking, oh, this is probably a prank. Because a lot of times it hasn't been throughout history. Yes. So besides just saying no to an internship like this, what did you learn from your experience? So, so the first thing that I learned, and it wasn't a good thing, I had to unlearn it, was just I became incredibly jaded towards the media. It's like everybody has a side, so we're going to tell this side. This is what we're paid to do. And I was around those people, and, and the people you're around, you end up like, you understand them in a way. And I never, I was like, I don't want to do this ever. I don't want to work in any type of media that could even resemble this. But I also learned to be extraordinarily skeptical, especially when you're reading or watching any type of news that comes from a, a, a place that you don't really know. Like anytime you're watching a prepackaged news clip and you see someone talking for 15 seconds, I mean, that, that, might have been a t that might have been a 20 to 30 to 40 minute interview just for them to get those seconds to, to say the point that they've already written in the story. I, I actually don't, I don't think that's the best way to communicate news sometimes. And then completely selfishly is that I learned to use that story, especially in media interviews where it's really hard to stand out to use that experience as something to like talk about and, and talk about things that I've learned from and also to just like have been a more interesting person than uh, the other candidates that you're going to speak to. Honestly, Matthew, there's no way like the van story that there's no way that's a good thing that happened, right? That's just like trauma that we're now discussing on a podcast for if, if you're looking for a job interview, I hope I have some tips later. Like I, there's really nothing to pull from that. Don't like, don't do that. I wish I didn't. I wish I didn't put myself in that position. But when I was in jobs for other media interviews, they're like, wait, what? okay, we were going to like pass on this, but what were you doing being 19 years old working for Russia today in the Middle East? Like, you might not want to give me the job, but at least you want to talk to me about it. Like, it's the same thing with this podcast, right? I might not have the best career advice. I have very specific career advice that's worked for me a little bit. But like, at least you want to hear about this internship with the propaganda people in Israel, right? You said something earlier about media interview questions and how sometimes they're leading or sometimes there's a question behind the question. And I actually see a big parallel there. And I've talked about this on previous episodes where the question being asked is actually almost a test because for job interviews, a recruiter will know where the response will go. So an example might be, what do you know about our company? Well, the recruiter works there. They know they don't need information about their own company. They actually want to know how much you've researched or how invested you are in the process or tell me about your last boss. They don't really care. They're not going to meet the person. They want to see if you go off on your last boss and what your attitude is. It's interesting, the parallel there. And I'm not saying all media interviews are this way, but oftentimes the question itself is really not the face value of where the conversation can go from it. So being in other like other interviews that weren't for this one specifically, I think a lot of media interviewing comes down to, can this person work on a group project with me forever? I, I know you've been doing a series about behaviorally what you should do in an interview. And for me, that was one of the rules that I completely broke it, uh, was never talk bad about your boss. I did it in that case where I was like, I really didn't like working there. And they're like, wait, so why do you have this angst against your boss? And I was like, because it was like a Russian propaganda network. They're like, oh, okay, now, now I understand. How about another one? But yeah, I, I think if you're in an interview for a lot of media jobs, especially when you're going to talk to the higher-ups that you're not going to be working with on a daily basis, 
But when you're talking to the people who are making the stuff, it's does this person vibe? Most, a lot of it is, does this person bring the skills and the vibe to work with this group in a harmonious way? You've had and have a job in media that most people dream of. Do you have any advice going back to say your internship to where you are today on charting a course and prepping yourself to fit in and succeed in the media space? Yeah. So while we just talked about the one summer, I, I did things that were significantly more helpful for what I did today. I did an internship at CNBC. I interned for the local radio show that I ended up working for. The biggest piece of advice, two pieces of advice. One is make your own stuff outside of your job if you can. And honestly, I haven't been good with that lately. Being on the daily show has, in some ways, I haven't given myself space to work on a lot of independent stuff. But when I was in a spot where I was trying to like get to the next job, I made like a documentary style podcast about like a boxer from Cincinnati for a lot of the behavioral questions, like, so what else do you work on? You're like, oh, I've like made this and this is something I'm really excited about. Having things that you can show genuine interest and like excitement about to show that you're an interesting person is good. And also having a portfolio of stuff where it's like, this is the stuff I've made that that ultimately shows your, your skills as a person in media. I think just the motivation that shows too, as far as doing things outside of work. I see candidates like that, like how are they going to apply that same behavior to this role? Are they going to research something new? Are they going to bring in new ideas? Are they going to not just look inside of the role itself, but beyond it, like you would do in your own life, building up for a media career or any career, building up an external portfolio and saying, hey, I have a lot going on. I have this energy and ideas and passion for this industry that I'm not just waiting for a job to do these things. I'm actively doing them and will continue to do so. Companies like that because that can reflect what they'll do once they're in a role. Yeah. And so much of it is learnable. Like one of the dirty secrets of working in media, like Matthew, you didn't just start off podcasting. You learned how to do it. Like it, it, it's a learnable skill. That's why when you see a lot of folks on, I would say on traditional television, they didn't just start off through a journalism career. And yeah, it, it's showing that it's learnable. And the other thing, so one of the people I worked with, one of my mentors is a guy uh, named Daryl Parks. He used to run a radio, he used to run a, one of the biggest radio stations in, in, in the country. And in Cincinnati it was uh, 700 WLW. And, and before I left my internship, he, he was like very adamant. He's like, don't be afraid, embrace new technology. And I think if you're younger in your media career, that's where you're going to have the skills that a lot of the, the coworkers, the people that, that don't have that understanding, that grasp, that's where you're going to be able to add stuff. Plus you have the added advantage of um, being, in a, being in an expanding space. So I don't necessarily know right now if like podcasting isn't booming like it was let's say eight years ago. But that was like, all right, I like radio. I like the radio thing. I like the talking thing. I, I like the idea of being able to have a longer conversation without the video aspects of it in some way. Or like there are video aspects, but it's not the, it's not the most important thing for the distribution of information. And it was a fairly easy pivot to go, all right, I'm going to be a, the podcasting person. How did you make the jump from local to national radio, or I'd say media even. How did you do that? And any advice for listeners that are in the media space looking to do something similar? Some of it's a numbers game. I, I probably applied for more than 300 jobs. And this the, the, the one I, that, that I have now, I'm, I'm grateful and I, I really like my job. I'm, I'm lucky to have a job that engages me every day. I'm learning new things. I get to talk to interesting people. 
And I, I didn't know anyone there before I got a job there. But what allowed me to make that jump was having a portfolio of work that I didn't know at the time would serve me necessarily in the interview that I ended up having. I think that's good for listeners to hear too, because I get emails, people say, I've applied to 15 jobs and haven't gotten one response. You applied to those 300 jobs and you had a great resume. I mean, you, yep. I'm sure you had a standout resume even at that time. And it's just a reminder that it takes time and not knowing what's going to happen in the short term is really stressful. And I understand that, but also looking at the big picture and, and where that can lead, it is a numbers game. I know that's generic advice, but that's part of the hard work of a career is applying to those jobs. It's not just waking up and getting the office at 7 a.m. It's not late nights or stressful meetings. Part of just a career in general is the stress and hard work of manual labor, even of applying to all those jobs, but it works out. Oh, it's finding things as well to, and I'm sure you have advice for it, of like simplifying, creating like cover letter templates for yourself, giving yourself some sort of like, I, I need reward-based incentives. That was helpful for me. And also understanding the, the game of inches. Two times I got lucky. One place I, I would say I got fairly lucky is this was in March of, so March of 2020. I applied for a job at like a big financial services editorial-ish company and the night before I was about to fly out and I was already nervous. I'm like, this doesn't seem like I should be traveling right now. I don't know how this is going to work. The night before I was getting ready to fly out, they're like, hello, COVID is happening and we're going to do all of this virtually. So I had to talk to all of these people on like day one of like the COVID shutdown. Or if it wasn't day one, it was day five. And I was so thrown off because people were taking the interview stance where it's like, oh, we're just calmly talking about a job from my living room. And I was so wild-eyed and not present. And one of the things that I did and as a guy, you have to be, and this is gendered, as a guy, be aware of it. But we were on Zoom calls and it's Sometimes social cues, especially on video, are hard for me to read. And I thought my interviewer, who was a female, was finished with her question. And she wasn't. And so I cut her off. And so it was like, okay, that was... An, and that ended up basically being an immediate no for the job, right? And then afterwards, she was actually nice enough to be like, hey, you got pretty far in the job interview process. Do you want feedback about what happened? And I was like, yeah, sure. And she said it was like, you don't cut off interviewers when they're asking you a question. And at first I was so bitter. I was bitter, dude. I was like, are you kidding me? We're in these video chats for the first time. You have no idea. Like, how are we pretending that this isn't weird? That, that I was supposed to go to some campus visit and now we're doing like Zoom, like a six hour Zoom thing. And then after being bitter for a little bit, I was like, all right, well, I guess all these job interviews right now are probably going to be over Zoom. And I learned from it. Now I take an extra beat if I'm talking to someone, it's also helpful for podcast interviews. Yeah, we've had to shift our social interactions or, or cues, like you said. It, it's hard. I still struggle with it myself. And yeah. sometimes there's just good chemistry, which unfortunately you can't bank on. I was lucky enough to have a career coach. Before interviews, I, I got to practice behavioral questions that it was good for me to have be in an environment with someone who was not closely connected to me personally, like wasn't my friend, wasn't a family member but also cared enough about me to give me honest feedback. Matthew, how do you think about diversity? 
And it might be good to run through that a couple of times before before you get it in a job interview. Because if you're in a media job interview, you absolutely will, and you should. What type of behavioral questions did you run into after doing that training with your career coach? Behavioral questions, a lot of them are topic-based. For a talk show, some of it was like, have you covered cryptocurrency? And this was 2021. What are you thinking about it? What are some stories you see? Can you tell me a story about it? There was the old, uh, what's what's a situation where maybe you d- disagreed with someone at a higher level than you at a company, and then how did you respond to it? I think that's a fairly standard one. I was also asked to pitch a stock, which you're working for the stock company. Of course, you should be able to at least show an interest in companies and in the economy and in businesses. Was that one of the easiest questions you ran into? It definitely put me off, like not put me off in a bad way, but it disrupted the rhythm. And the stock, I I guess it it was Kroger. I ended up talking about Kroger for a little bit at the time. And to, to be clear, Matthew, I do own a position in Kroger and... I talked about the the grocery store for about 30 to 40, 30 to 60 seconds. And then I stopped. And then I remember waiting for some sort of like, like applause, feedback, whatever. It was just like, all right. And I was like, okay, maybe that wasn't good, but I ended up getting hired. So it was all right. And maybe they were all busy taking out their phones and taking a position on Kroger. I don't think so. I don't think there's a lot of excitement for a grocery store that's been around for almost a hundred years now, but, but I love it. I'm, I could explain why, but that's not the purpose of this podcast. Do you mind my asking, maybe reflecting on your career so far, maybe one or two of the biggest mistakes you've made and what you've learned from them? Mistakes. I think probably my biggest mistake was that when I was in college, especially in college, it was the portfolio thing. I didn't do enough to build that. I remember my decision, I was like, I don't want to get a journalism minor because you're just taking classes in it and then you don't get like, you don't get a minor certificate. And I remember I I let that part of the degree influence me. And because of that, I think it was harder for me to find a job after I graduated. Because ultimately, like the employers, they don't, like they don't care that you have a minor that you added to your degree. They care about like the work that you did. And I, I knew at the time that I wanted to work in, in media. Uh, and, and ultimately, like I'm glad I took some Arabic classes, which I, I think is an English speaker and a communicator. It's helpful to learn a language that's not based on Latin because you have to go to you have to get different parts of your brain going to, to go like, what do you actually want to say? But I would say I let myself find an excuse to not build up to do more work, more writing, tell more stories and and do the job that I actually wanted to do after college while I was in college. It's never too late to build a portfolio. At my last job as director of talent acquisition, I created a recruiting and retention curriculum for the company just to have a, a brand standard. And I tried to look into the future, how we could serve candidates well, and then how we could get things done. And things like that stand out to companies. Like I said earlier, being proactive, but also when you can share from your portfolio, you give them a different view into who you are than just your resume says. And it's also more eloquent than, at least for myself, I can't express what's on that piece of curriculum that I have very well. But if you read through it and it, it looks nice, you can present that. It shows your presentation skills. How do you make it look? Is it in a spreadsheet? Is it in a Word document? Is it on a slide deck? There's all these little things. I think no matter what job you have, if you're in manufacturing on the floor, you can come up with ideas for safety, 
ideas, maybe a new robot that just came out at a new convention. Just put some stuff together and pitch it to your boss. It could be one page and just say, hey, I learned about this. I don't know if we need it, but I wanted to let you know how I thought maybe we could use this in the future. So those little things for portfolio media is obviously different than manufacturing, than hiring, but it, it helps you stand out because so few people do it. You learn from it. You can benefit from it in your own career and, and utilize those resources yourself. Employers at least want to know about it and want to see it. And it's just one more way to engage them and, and tell your story of who you are and, and what you're capable of. So I'm, I'm glad you said that because it's yeah. a great reminder for listeners. It, it shows a level of buy-in. And then the one I didn't want to say that I probably should, I, I was in position sometimes where I was bitter about my situation. And I let that impact the people, the, the way I treated, especially my coworkers, my boss. And when you do that, you end up burning some relationships. Well said. Motley Fool is huge, and Motley Fool Money is a fantastic podcast. People listen to it all over the world. Where should listeners go to connect with you, the podcast, the website, anything like that? Yeah, I'll do one podcast episode pitch, and then we can do the, the socials. A couple of weeks ago, I talked to Walter Isaacson, who has a biography about Elon Musk out. The episode title is just Walter Isaacson on Elon Musk. It's, it's one of my favorite interviews. I, I really enjoyed our conversation. I enjoyed the book as well. I think that's a good that's a good podcast to check out. I'm at Rick So Slick on Twitter. That's two S's between the K and the O. Ricky Mulvey on LinkedIn. And then to follow Motley Fool Money, mostly active on Twitter, at Motley Fool Money. Great. We'll link to those in the episode description. And that Walter Isaacson episode is really good, by the way. I'd encourage listeners to also go over and start there. I've read most of his biographies. He's just outstanding. Ricky, thanks for sharing. Thanks for bringing some perspective on careers and also, of course, an engaging story, giving us feedback and ideas from what you've done to be successful and, and some lessons you've learned. Really appreciate you joining us on the job interview experience. Thank you, Matthew. I hope this was somewhat useful to, to folks listening. It will be. Hope to see you again. Are you feeling frustrated with the job hunt? Are endless applications and radio silence getting you down? You can now book me for $1 a minute for 30 45 or 60 minutes. Don't need 45 minutes. Don't pay for it. Want to do 30 minutes now and maybe 30 minutes later, once you progress, let's do it. We can conduct a mock interview. I'll help you format great responses that make a difference. We can improve your resume and cover letter to help get you noticed. I'm here to consult with you. If you're in a unique situation and want input from someone that has seen it all, and can help you succeed like I have so many others. It's super simple. Just go to jobinterviewexperience.com and click the $1 a minute coaching button at the very top of the page. Select the amount of time you want to meet, and then you can look through my availability without having to pay. Check out my availability, pick a time, and pay $1 a minute for 100% of my attention. It's blocked into 30, 45, or 60 minutes, so we won't go over, you won't get charged anymore than what you pay at checkout. Remember, the faster you invest in yourself, the faster you land that dream job. Go to jobinterviewexperience.com or follow the link in this episode's description. I'm excited to meet and help you take control of your career today.